Mallory told me it was the Lord telling me to maybe not preach this morning, but I think it was a good sign that I chose the shortest book in the Bible, 2 John. So, uh, If you can't find 2 John, you can use the, the key in the front of your Bible or go to Revelation and just go backwards a couple of pages. 2 John. My plan this morning is that we would just work through the letter together verse by verse and then I would break it down into a couple of key points. But a lot of you are probably wondering, why such a short book? Why, why this little letter that, uh, you know, you've probably read it every once in a while, maybe once a year. Uh, if you're like me, when I was a kid, I would say, well, I should probably read my Bible today. So I would either choose a really short psalm, or I would turn to Second John and read it and forget about it. thought it was pointless. thought it was just a little insignificant story. And some of you have heard my sermon on Philemon. It was kind of a similar book for me. I you know, never read it or thought much about it. But as I studied it more, I thought, this is, this is remarkable. There are truths that lie even in the smallest of books in the Bible. I've used this analogy before. I was running in Colorado, and uh, I'll spare you the long story. We kind of fell down the side of this mountain. And on the side of it, there were these, these boulders. And the boulders were pretty remarkable themselves, but they were nothing compared to the greater picture that they actually came from. So the boulders, I thought, man, these are really cool. That's a nice boulder. Uh, but it made me look up at the mountain and see, now there's something really amazing that it came from. Had the same experience in a river this week when Will and I were floating down it in these tubes. And uh, Will hit some pretty nice rocks <laughs> in the bottom of his tube. That was fun. But I looked over and saw another boulder that had fallen down from somewhere. I thought, that's a nice, you know, that's a nice boulder. How funny that it's been in this river for that long and it's grown a tree out of it. But it made me look up and see, wow, there's a bigger picture that it came from. And lastly, I've got a tree in my front yard. I've told the leaf story before to some of you people. I had a pile of leaves there for a couple of months, completely killed the grass there in my front yard. But if I just looked at one of those leaves and all of the details that were in that leaf, it made me think about the bigger picture that it came from, the beautiful tree in my front yard. I think books like Second John or letters like Second John, Third John, Philemon, Jude, even though they're really small, maybe just one page in the Bible, it points to something greater, and that is the truth of God's Word and the truth of Jesus Christ. Second Timothy chapter 3, we read that all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, Correction, training, and righteousness that the man of God may be complete, lacking nothing, equipped for good works. That's my hope this morning is that from Second John, you would be equipped for good work. That you would be trained, you would be taught, you would be corrected in some way. Let's read in Second John beginning in verse 1. We'll read the entire letter. The elder to the elect lady and her children, whom I love in truth. And not only I, but also all who know the truth, because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ the Father's Son in truth and love. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as though I were writing you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. And this is love, that we walk according to His commandments. 
This is the commandment. Just as you have heard from the beginning, so that you should walk in it. For many deceivers have gone out into the world. Those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. Though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. Well, if you couldn't tell from the first couple of verses here, the word truth appears multiple times. Truth appears in the Bible about 220 times to 250, depending on the translation. It's a very, very important topic that the world has absolutely thrown into the ground today. Look in verse 1. The elder, this is John, the same John that wrote the gospel, and the same John that wrote Revelation, and 1 John, and 3 John. He's called the elder because he's an overseer of the church at Ephesus, but also Due to the fact that he's very old. Very old at this point. Perhaps the last living apostle. This letter was written in about 90 AD. This is one of the last letters that we have in the Bible. That's significant. you got to think the last book that was added to the Lord's holy scriptures. God's word. Is this little letter about truth. He's writing to the elect lady. Now when I first read this I thought. This is probably a Christian woman that he's writing to at a church. I don't think that's an incorrect um, interpretation of it. But historically, theologians believe that this is actually a church. So he's using this symbolic language, the elect lady, to talk about a church. And her children would be uh, either members of the church or other churches that are connected to this church. So there's a little bit of background. This is John writing probably to a church He says this, whom I love in truth. The basis of his love for fellow believers is truth. The basis of his love for fellow believers is truth. And he says this, and not only I, but also all who know the truth. Because of the truth that abides in us and will be with us forever. We see two things here. Truth is unifying amongst believers. If we are united by anything... Not socioeconomic status, not race, not hobbies, not even location. We are united by the truth that we cling to. And there's one word there that is very key at the end of verse 2. Forever. It will be with us forever. Truth is objective. Truth is rooted in God and His word from the beginning. This is truth. If we're going to talk a lot about truth today, you know I have a tendency. Uh, I preached on a precious faith, and Jonah said I said the word precious over 60 times. I might say the word truth over 60 times today. So let's go ahead and establish what truth is. In general, truth is something that is according to fact or reality. It is in accordance to fact or reality. If I had a ruler up here that was 12 inches, 
it doesn't matter if all of you said that the ruler isn't 12 inches. You're wrong. You're wrong. If I had a straight edge and held it up against something that uh, was obviously curved and, and Jim Bob had this, this object and said, no, this is straight. I could hold the straight edge to it and say, no, it's not. This is true. Truth is something that is in accordance to fact or reality. But in a spiritual, scriptural, biblical sense, what is truth? In our scripture reading this morning, we read, Jesus Christ is the truth. Let's first think about that. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is a fact. In order to know the Father, you must know the Son, and the Lord must call you to Him through Jesus Christ as a mediator. As a result of the fall in the garden, our relationship and communion with God was broken. That is the misery of the estate wherein two men fell. We lost communion with God and we're under His wrath and curse and made liable to all miseries of this life, to death itself and the pains of hell forever. So we need a mediator. In order for us to come to God, we must know the Son. But in what way? Well, we must assert that Jesus is the Christ. If you're going to receive Christ, you must receive Him as Christ. That doesn't mean anything to you if you don't know what Christ means. So, obviously, Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is a title. Christ means anointed one. Anointed one. And Christ was anointed with three primary offices. Prophet, priest, and king. If you've received Christ, you've received him as these three things. And if you deny them, you are doing what the deceivers have done in the following verses of of this letter. Christ is a prophet. He reveals to us by his word and spirit the will of God for our salvation. Christ is a priest. This is the big one. This is the one that's often denied. That Jesus' sacrifice of himself was enough. His sacrifice once satisfied the divine justice that uh, that was due for our sin. He even intercedes on our behalf in heaven now. If you want to pray to God, if you want to know God, you must know Christ. Lastly, Christ is a king. Jesus rules and reigns over us now. He defends us. He's conquering our enemies and his enemies A lot of people will say, yes, Jesus is my Lord and Savior. But I don't think they're serious about the Lord part. Jesus is my Savior. That sounds great. No one wants to go to hell. Everyone wants to go to heaven. But the part that they fail to live according to, the primary truth of who Christ is, is that He is Lord. All things have been reconciled to Him. He's coming to judge at the last day. Do you serve Him? Do you love Jesus? We have a test in 1 John and 2 John. If you love God, you'll obey His commandments and you'll love His people. Do you purposely disobey His commandments? Do you hate His people? It's likely you also hate Him. That's a a serious claim to say that Jesus is your Lord and Savior. Live it out. We've seen that Jesus Christ is the truth. But we also read in 2 Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And we have listed throughout Scripture that God's Word never perishes. In John 17, 17, Jesus prays, Sanctify them in the truth. Your Word is truth. He says that to God the Father. In Isaiah, the grass withers 
The flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Forever. This includes from the beginning of time and before time in the covenant of grace into eternity. God's word stands forever. Matthew 24, 35, Jesus says, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. Jesus Christ is the truth. God's word is the truth. Let's go back to the letter. Look in 2 John, verse 3. Grace, mercy, and peace will be with us from God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father's Son, in truth and love. This is a pretty common greeting you see at the beginning of all letters in the New Testament. A lot of them will say, I found this to be interesting in studying it, most of the letters will say, grace, mercy, and peace be with us, as if it's a wish or a desire. John says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us will be with us. There's a guarantee there. Uh, <clears throat> when I was in elementary school, I wrote a report about my grandfather for some grandparents' day. And he wrote me a letter back, a very short letter. Very short letter. And it was so meaningful to me that I hung it on the wall in my room, and it's still there next to the report that I wrote about him. There wasn't anything significant in the letter. It said things like, thank you for writing this about me. I appreciate it. This is the best report that's ever been written about me. But it was the note that he... It was just a post-it note. He put it on the back of the frame. And it said, I want this letter to be displayed at my visitation. And it, it was. And that was the meaningful part to me. But on that post-it note, the very last thing he said, I want this displayed at my visitation. But before then, we will have plenty of trips to Cave Run Lake. There was a guarantee there. In the midst of this sweet, special letter, there was an inevitable end to the cancer that he would die. But he put a note there. We're going to spend a lot of time at Cave Run Lake together. And it was true. John gives a guarantee here. It's the last book, one of the last letters in the Bible. And he says, grace, mercy, and peace will be with us. From God the Father and from Jesus Christ, the Father, Son, in truth and love. That's the foundation of the grace, mercy, and peace that we receive. From Jesus Christ, the truth. From God's word, the truth. Look in verse 4. I rejoice greatly to find some of your children walking in the truth, just as we were commanded by the Father. And now I ask you, dear lady, not as I thought I were, not as though I were writing to you a new commandment, but the one we have had from the beginning, that we love one another. You see, the basis for John's writing about truth is that he understands God's word. And those who understand God's word will walk in the truth that has been revealed to them. Let me just read some things that we read in God's Word. God created the heavens and the earth. Truth. God created man, male and female. God punishes sin. Hell is real. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Life begins in the womb. Men and women should have designated, distinct roles, especially in the household. You cannot serve two masters. God draws his children to himself. You cannot be saved by works. The Lord reigns. The Lord is coming to judge the world. God has issued clear commandments to us. And Jesus Christ is the only way to the Father. Now that sounded like an exhaustive list of you know, pretty basic biblical truths. But I put this list together because these are things that I have heard churches around us Deny. Churches around us in Shepherdsville deny the truths that I just read off to you. 
Is that not astounding? Does that not just make you sick? Thinking that our children are out in the community with these things being taught. It scares me. Someone can deny that God created the heavens and the earth. If you deny Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, you can deny all the rest of Scripture. It crumbles at verse 1. God created man, male and female, but we add the, the possibility of transitioning between the two? No. No, God created and designed creation in a good way. In a beautiful way. Here's a big one. God punishes sin. If you don't believe that God punishes sin, let's eat, drink, and be merry. Live how we want to live. Here's a huge one. Hell is real. People deny that hell is real. If there's no punishment for sin, well, let's especially live how we want to live. And if a church is going to say that hell is not real, why do we have to preach that God is real? This is scary. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Life begins in the womb. These are, the, these are truths that you all know, so I won't exhaust the list. But I say this to make you aware. John will say later in the letter that we have to make ourselves aware of these things and that we have to watch out for deceivers that go against the truth. If we're going to base our beliefs and life on the Holy Scriptures of the Old and New Testament, we must accept that God's truth is not dependent on cultural trends. If we want to fill up all of the seats in this room, if we want to increase our offerings, if we want to increase the fundraisers for for youth camp and get a really big following on social media, what we should do is follow the culture. What we should do is back away from the truth. What we should do is join with these other churches and deny what is listed in God's word, clear as day. But I'm going to exhort you like John did. Don't do that. Don't run with the world. Look in verse 6. And this is love that we walk according to his commandments. This is the commandment just as you have heard from the beginning. So that you you should walk in it. In 1 John, I encourage you to read it. I was going to turn there. I'm not going to do that for the sake of time today. But John will tell you what it looks like to walk in truth, to walk in light. It's going to produce brotherly love amongst us. I want us to see a couple of things as we continue throughout the rest of this letter. Is that truth produces unity, truth produces love, and truth requires careful protection. Let's look at this uh, in verse 7 and following about these deceivers. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a one is the deceiver and the antichrist. Watch yourselves, so that you may not lose what we have worked for, but may win a full reward. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house or give him any greeting. For whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works. This letter was written to the first century church. And in this time, there were teachers that were going around and traveling and and preaching and teaching. And John is warning us about some people who go around and ask for support and housing and finances and food that are not preaching the true gospel. 
This is a warning to the first century church. What he says to those in the church that believe in the truth is, don't let them into your home. Don't support them. Don't, don't uh, just give them well wishes on their way with food and money. Because you're supporting the lie that they're, that they're working with. <clears throat> Let's look at these three points really quickly. Number one, truth produces unity. We saw that in the beginning of the letter, that what united the believers was truth. That was their foundation. How do we gather around truth as a church? Praise God, I think Bullet Lick has done that. That is the reason why we gather. But in order to gather around truth, we must first determine what truth is. We've done that. Jesus Christ is the truth. God's word is the truth. Secondly, we have to agree that truth is the reason for meeting. Fellowship is not the primary reason for meeting. Good music is not the reason for meeting. Enjoying our relationship with one another is not the reason for meeting. These are results of the truth. If we agree on the truth of Jesus Christ, then we're going to proceed into brotherly love. This won't be on the screen, but turn to uh, 2 Peter chapter 1, just a couple of pages back. Second Peter chapter 1, <clears throat> I'll begin in verse 5. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue or excellence and virtue with knowledge. If you have faith, if you are a partaker of the divine nature, your faith must be supplemented, but it is rooted in truth. It's rooted in God's word and it's rooted in the work of Christ to save you. But let's see what this leads to. With virtue, supplement your faith with virtue, virtue with knowledge, knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Do You see the progression there. Even if you didn't remember everything in the list in the middle, you see it starts with faith. An excellence of faith with knowledge and it proceeds to love. If we're going to love one another, it's not for the sake of just loving each other and being nice people. It's for the sake of the truth. Let's go back to First John, Second uh, John. In order for us to be united by truth, we must determine what it is. We must agree that it is our reason for meeting and we must rely on the truth for guidance and understanding, not the world. I think our church has done an excellent job doing that in recent matters where we've had to consider large decisions, big decisions uh, on what our church will do. <clears throat> but you are going to have to continue to do this and rely on the truth when the world says that this church is closed-minded. This church, it's just full of bigots. This church doesn't actually love people. not true. When the world says that, well, the Bible doesn't actually say that same-sex marriage is wrong. The Bible doesn't say that life begins in the womb. We must hold strong to this because churches that don't do this crumble. They fall apart and they no longer preach the truth. Rely on it for guidance and understanding. Lastly, recognize that truth is objective and lasting. We see that in the introduction of this letter. 
truth was established in God in the beginning and it's going to maintain. It's going to be maintained by God until the end of time. I'm not going to have you turn to Titus. But in Titus, Paul is writing to believers to remain strong in the faith and knowledge of the truth, which accords to godliness. Once we determine what truth is and that it's the foundation for our belief in living, it's going to help us live in a way of godliness or God-likeness. You're going to live like God. That should be our desire. He even mentions in these verses that God never lies. Rest assured in that, Christians, God never lies. So we've seen that truth produces unity. We saw that the believers were walking in this way. But truth, secondly, produces love. John says in the beginning of his letter that he loves the lady, the elect lady, or the church in truth. He doesn't say that truth, that love produces truth. There are churches that will gather for the sake of loving everyone, accepting everyone, being tolerant of any trend that the world will offer. And then they will determine what they believe is true. That's not what we do. That's not what we're told to do here. Truth produces love. You know, the universe is sustained by a loving God. God is love. That is true. But do you know what else God is? He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable. The wishes and desires of a sinful world don't change our God. They don't make him tolerant for things. When the world says, but it's 2022, things have changed from the year 90 AD. Standards are different. Culturally accepted practices are different. Well, when will they end? Do we just keep pushing them further and further until our world completely crumbles? I I say we should not do that. He's infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, Holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. He's perfect in it. He's unchanging in it. He's infinite in it. His commandments, by which we are united, tell us to love one another. Tells us to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, it's a commandment that you believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's a commandment. You believe in the name of of Jesus Christ. Well, of course, everyone would say, yeah, Jesus was a, he was a real guy. Jesus Christ was. But do you believe in who he was? As I mentioned earlier, the prophet, the priest, and the king. If you're going to say that there are other ways to God, if there are other ways to the Father, you don't believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. You're writing your own religion as you go. Unfortunately, there are churches around us that say that that is true. They will say, Jesus is a way, Jesus is a truth, and Jesus is an opportunity for life. They may even go so far as to say that he is the best way, but they won't say that he's the only way. What a shame. If you love God, you will obey his commandments. Thirdly, I want to say that truth requires careful protection. I've already talked about this quite a bit. But John says, don't even accept these deceiving people into your home. Well, that doesn't sound very brotherly or loving or affectionate. Some people may use this as an argument to say, well, should Christians not have non-Christian friends? Should we have non-Christian acquaintances? I don't think that's what John was saying. 
Other people will advance the argument and say, well, Jesus ate with prostitutes and sinners and tax collectors and all these terrible people. So shouldn't we be accepting of these people that deny what is true? No, that's not what Jesus was. Jesus wasn't just a weak, tolerant man that went with cultural ebbs and flows. No, Jesus changed people. Jesus was not changed by these people. He didn't approve of what they did, and we shouldn't either. We should be like Christ and stand for the truth. These deceivers are like the serpent in the garden who said, Surely, surely you will not die if you eat this fruit. Well, the world is now saying, You know, surely God didn't mean that marriage is just between a man and a woman. Surely God doesn't mean that He would send people to hell. No, He can't mean that. God's word is truth. That's our response to that. The world will say Jesus is not a prophet. His word is not entirely true. Jesus is not a priest. There are other ways to God. Jesus is not a king because I can't have someone else ruling over me. Reject that nonsense and walk in truth. Love the Lord and obey his commandments. These warnings to the first century church are very, very relevant to the 21st century church. I urge you to protect yourself with truth. In order to do that, you must read the truth. Be in God's word. You should pray for faith. Pray for knowledge. Pray for wisdom. And you should be around people that believe in the truth. Surround yourself with believers. I also urge you to protect the church with truth. Make it the center of our praise and our worship. Make it the foundation of our church covenants. And preach it. Praise the Lord. We have people in this pulpit every Sunday that preach truth. We have Sunday school teachers that teach truth. And next week at VBS, we're going to teach truth to kids in our community. Preach it. Thirdly, protect your children. I'm a public school teacher, and I can just give you a warning as you've heard before. Truth is not the most common thing in a public school. You would think that we would be educating children with truth, but we find every opportunity we can to deny the truth of God's word. It's disgusting. Protect your children. If you're going to send them into the world, send them educated and protected, knowing that they are people that represent Christ. They are people that represent our church and they represent your family. We have amazing, amazing parents in this church. And I'm thankful for the example that you've set for me so that one day when I'm a father, I can do what you all have done. Discipline your children in the truth. But you'll notice I never said to protect truth itself. We need to protect ourselves. We need to protect our church. We need to protect our children. But truth itself doesn't necessarily need to be protected because truth is truth. Truth is lasting. Truth will protect itself. So I want to conclude with the last two verses of 2 John, verse 12 and 13. John writes, though I have much to write to you, I would rather not use paper and ink. Instead, I hope to come to you and talk face to face so that our joy may be complete. The children of your elect sister greet you. We just sent a team of, I think, 11 people to Ecuador thousands of miles away, 
the basis of what they're doing down there, the work that they're going to accomplish by the power of God, is based in truth. They're going to teach and train pastors and counselors how to help hurting, broken people with truth. They're not going to teach them tolerance. They're not going to teach them worldliness. They're going to point to the Bible and say the only way to salvation is Christ. The only way to heaven is through the Son. God's Word is truth. I urge you to believe this. John is writing at the end of this, says, I I wish I could come see you. And perhaps he did eventually go and meet this lady or this church and to give them encouragement. Let's keep meeting together. Let's press on. Let's press on to the end so that as he wrote, we may obtain the full award. Full reward, which is glory. Future glory. He says, the children of your elect sister greet you. I think that what he's saying there is that uh, I also send greetings from another church. Uh, it pleases me to know that we're going to worship with our sister church here soon. Let's connect with churches that preach truth. Let's not just go out and connect with churches that don't preach truth. The impact that we should have on them is that we live out God's commandments and we preach his word in truth. All right, I think that's the last time I'll say truth in this sermon today. Let's pray. 